Hello and welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, our weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut, where we talk to professors and scholars about the research they're doing, what they're learning, and what it means for the rest of us. We have a particularly timely episode uh, today because we're talking to Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Chair of the Psychiatry Department, Dr. Fadi Malouf, uh, who's a specialist in, in child psychology, but deals, he and his colleagues deal with issues um, that roam uh, across the mental health spectrum. So, Dr. Malouf, thank you for being with us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Well, there's a lot to talk about, so why don't we just uh, dive right in, and maybe you could give us a quick overview of what you and your colleagues have dealt with uh, in the mental health uh, psychiatric uh, realm in Lebanon, at least where you live and work, uh, over the last two years. And uh, obviously you're researching some of these realities that you deal with in your service delivery and medical care. Uh, so w w where are you focused? What's going on in this realm? And then we'll get into some of the details. Yeah, I think this is a, an important question. The last couple of years have uh, been particularly uh, stressful globally, and people have discussed and uh, talked about a mental health pandemic that will follow the current COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, mental health problems have increased uh, across the globe and uh, across the different age groups. In Lebanon particularly, uh, as uh, you know, uh, we've been uh, dealing with uh, successive crises. I call it the quadruple uh, whammy. Uh, so um, in addition to the pandemic itself, uh, people have had to deal with the uh, stress of the uh, worst uh, economic crisis. And there has been the trauma of uh, the Beirut port explosion and uh, mass um, um, exodus of uh, uh, people from the country, uh, which has left uh, those of us who stayed to have to deal with uh, different losses. Uh, but also, we have found ourselves as mental health professionals. Um, our body is uh, shrinking. There has been people uh, uh, who are now practicing uh, without the support needed. Uh, uh, so it's been particularly stressful. Uh, in, in, in a way, to respond to the crisis uh, here in, at the Department of Psychiatry at the American University of Beirut, there have been several initiatives. Some of them are related to service delivery immediately after uh, the uh, Beirut blast, uh, focusing on trauma. And uh, some have been uh, more academic particularly looking at the uh, impact of uh, the explosion uh, on the mental health of uh, the general population. Being a child and adolescent psychiatrist myself, uh, my research has focused on this particular uh, age group. And over the last you know, four to five years uh, uh, before uh, the crisis, successive crisis, and right uh, into the crisis, I've been interested in researching the burden of mental health on this specific population, try to understand uh, their access and frequency of their access to care and the barriers uh, uh, for uh, this, and maybe bridge the gap uh, between uh, 
you know, the, those who are not able to access care and uh, uh, those who have been uh, in treatment by uh, reaching out to those uh, who have not come to us for uh, for care. So this this is in a nutshell what's been going on uh, at my research uh, at, at the research level and clinical service delivery. Can I interrupt you before you get into that? Do you see either you in your work or you and your colleagues in Beirut or globally? Is there a big difference in how ch uh, children react to this situation from how adults react to the situation? Uh, so. Ye yes and no. So there are a lot of uh, commonalities between how children react to stressful situations and how adults react. These include uh, changes in maybe sleep or appetite. And there are some uh, differences, particularly related to behavioral differences. For example, um, uh, you may see that the children are, uh, what we're seeing in our clinics, that the children uh, now have, are showing symptoms of what we call anxiety and uh, worries. And this is manifested by uh, what we call school refusal. So many children now are refusing to uh, go to school because uh, they're afraid. They're afraid to leave their loved one behind and what if something bad happens to them. And also they're afraid that something bad would happen to them while they're at school. You don't see this phenomenon in adults. You may see in adults, you know, uh, panic attacks or uh, maybe uh, problems with uh, resorting to alcohol or illicit drug to in attempt to self-medicate, uh, which you don't you don't uh, see particularly in children. Okay, so uh, given the situation um, with the increase of work that you you're all doing in the psychiatry world. Um, what does this uh, mean for what we're learning? Uh, it's kind of an intense episode of heightened psychiatric mental health issues, and you're dealing with them. You must have a huge amount of new uh, information from your routine treatment uh, and analysis and diagnostic work that, that you do. So what does this mean for the research results of what you and others at AUB and others in Lebanon are, are generating information that can be useful um, to people all over the world in the future. So what we learned, we learned that mental health uh, problems uh, in Lebanon, at least on the population that I researched, are uh, more prevalent than mental health problems uh, elsewhere in the world. We learned also that uh, what we call treatment gap is wide. And by treatment gap, I mean the percentage of people who are in need of help and uh, who are actually getting uh, or seeking the help needed. Uh, so we have around only 5% of people who are in need of help were getting the uh, needed mental health help. So which leaves you with what we call a 95% treatment gap. So uh, this is particularly wide compared to worldwide data, which is around 50% uh, uh, in general. And it's considered pretty low. Uh, the third thing that, the third lesson that we learned, uh, and we had thought that, you know, uh, people are not seeking help because they worry about stigma or they worry about, uh, or because they don't trust uh, uh, 
the whole uh, mental health service delivery. It turned out, you know, we were wrong because uh, what we found out in our research that people were not seeking uh, mental health help because it's either not available or not affordable to them. So my message and our uh, the take-home message, I think, from the research data that we've uh, collected so far is that maybe uh, a concerted effort is needed in Lebanon uh, uh, between and among professionals, ministries, policymakers, etc., to make mental health uh, services available and uh, affordable um, in order to bridge uh, this treatment gap. That's interesting. Okay, and uh, what, what, what other dimensions of the current situation um, are particularly uh, striking to you and your colleagues in the uh, both the causes of uh, mental health issues and uh, and the treatment of them? Uh, I think uh, going uh, back to school has been particularly stressful for, uh, for many kids specifically. Uh, part of it is that they were away uh, for a couple of years studying online, but also uh, this is the first in a way, um, physical year or in terms of education after uh, the blast here in, in Beirut. Uh, so looking at also establishing uh, uh, mental health support uh, within the school systems is an, another important uh, aspect if you were to uh, reach kids where they are instead of waiting for them to come to us uh, for treatment. This way you can catch it early and you can uh, intervene in their natural environment, which is the school setting. Uh, yeah, I was just gonna say that, you know, in, uh, my colleagues and I, uh, before, before the blast and before the recent uh, pandemic, have actually proved, uh, uh, conducted this specific uh, research study looking at interventions to build the resilience within the school setting with adolescents and we did show that there are specific interventions that can be delivered within the classroom and embedded within the school curriculum uh, that showed um, uh, improvement in uh, resilience skills in these kids but also a decrease in their levels of anxiety uh, and depression compared to kids who did not receive these interventions. And you're talking of interventions, not just teaching uh, teachers to spot a child who uh, is experiencing some mental health stresses, anxiety, uh, whatever, um, their performance has uh, decreased or something, um, but you're talking about interventions. What, what, give us an example of what you're talking about. So, so school-based inter, uh, interventions have several components. One of them is working with the teachers to identify early signs uh, of mental health distress uh, and uh, training them uh, to do uh, some basic uh, counseling or interventions. This is one component. The other component is to work with the kids and teach them skills to self-regulate, uh, to deal with uh, what we call negative emotions, such as anxiety or worries or sadness, 
to teach them problem solving, to teach them how to effectively uh, maintain a social relationship and friendship, uh, how to create a, a social uh, support system around them, how to um, uh, dream, uh, be motivated, plan, uh, and then implement their, uh, help them meet their goals. So these are resilient skills that can be taught in a classroom setting over you know 10 to 12 sessions typically these are weekly sessions they're part of the curriculum 45 50 minutes each uh, it's uh, a didactic interactive format with uh, activities uh, in groups it can typically it's usually given by either a mental health professional but in uh, many instances the you can train the teacher to uh, deliver uh, these interventions in an effective way, uh, in the same effective way uh, as a mental health professional. And this is the beauty of it. It can be, this is what we call task shifting. So now the teacher is doing what we do in our clinic, except they're doing it uh, in a different context, which is the classroom setting. Wow. Uh, the, uh, the actual uh, success of this, you have shown it uh, that it works through your uh, research? Yeah, so uh, through our research, we uh, adapted a, an Australian uh, intervention. It's called the Friends Intervention. And the, the nice thing about it, Friends, uh, each letter, it's an acronym. Each letter stands for a certain skill uh, set that is needed uh, to help adolescent, uh, adolescents build resilience. For example, F is for feelings, R is uh, for relaxation, I is for inner helpful thoughts, etc. And so we adapted it and then we conducted a study where uh, we randomized a certain number of schools to receive the interventions and another number of schools, they were on the wait list. And then we did measure levels of anxiety before and after the intervention in both groups. And what we showed, we showed uh, that uh, kids who received it actually experienced uh, less anxiety over time uh, and uh, less uh, depression. And this has been uh, published uh, in the literature as well. What was interesting is that uh, uh, the teacher, the students and the parents found it to be helpful and feasible, which I think is important if you want to think about generalizing it uh, and scaling it up uh, down the road. Well, this brings up the wider issue, which uh, COVID and you know other things like smoking or drug abuse or whatever uh, societies deal with, that to, to address any kind of health, whether it's mental or uh, physical health uh, issue, you need the, you know, the health professionals, you need the public systems, the government, the schools, the businesses, and you need the home environment, all three working together. Um, my question is, do you have any insights uh, about how the medical profession has been able to provide, uh, you talked about the schools, but has been able to provide people at home, uh, both adults and children, uh, with more knowledge to be able to uh, reduce the health risks that they're uh, experiencing during the pandemic. You know, when it started, the pandemic, of course, people learned how to wash their hands and how to socially distance and things like that, and then wear masks. That's things that people can do themselves. Where in the mental health world uh, is there an equivalent of this kind of um, um, transfer, or, or, or what you called it, uh, 
uh, task yes, shifting trans, to, the, to the home. Or task yeah. shifting, absolutely. Mm. And you can do this uh, broadly across the mental health spectrum, not just looking at kids at school, but 95% of the population is not getting treatment for uh, issues that it has. Um, what's the possibility of doing um, task shifting uh, on a big scale, aiming at people at home, uh, not only just people at school, people at home or at work? Yeah, uh, I think this is uh, an excellent uh, question uh, because I, I, I usually call it, uh, uh, when I see patients in my clinic, I'm explaining to them that, you know, what we do is one part of an overall uh, picture and I call it it's like a puzzle with one piece of the puzzle but other pieces have to also fall in place uh, in order for the picture to be complete uh, so uh, there are ideally in the healthcare system you would want to uh, incorporate mental health services within primary uh, care services so it's the, when the patient goes to have their diabetes checked or their hypertension checked or they're due for a colonoscopy this is where um, mental health screening for mental health happens. Uh, and if they're found to have some levels of anxiety, depression, or other uh, distress, uh, the primary care physician, family physician will be uh, starting the uh, first, what we call first line treatment. Uh, and uh, this is to increase access to care. And here at AUB, we've been doing uh, this in collaboration with our uh, family physicians where we're in constant um, exchange of ideas and trainings uh, with them. Uh, now, outside the healthcare system, it's about awareness and what we call health promotion. And uh, it's reaching out through social media. It's uh, reaching out through the TV and the awareness programs uh, on the TV and giving uh, skills and uh, advice. You can see that, you know, there are some uh, shows on the TV, especially the morning ones. Uh, they constantly have a mental health professional. It's usually a psychologist who's on the show on a daily basis and who would uh, tackle a certain topic and ah. uh, give tips and advice. I think this is helpful for the community at large. Yeah, how interesting. If you were to uh, summarize all the uh, work that's going on now, what you've learned and what people are going through, what would be the, say, one or two most important things that ordinary citizens should know, should be aware of in relation to their own uh, mental health? Uh, any s symptoms you point out to people, say, if you're feeling this, you know, this is important. What, what are the one or two critical signs of mental health uh, issues? Uh, in general, I want, I want people to know that mental health difficulties, problems or disorders are uh, common. Uh, the way other physical problems are common. Uh, they're treatable uh, as well. So if one has a mental health problem, it doesn't mean they will have to live with their mental health problem and uh, there, are, there is no cure for it. So I think it's important for the general population to know this. Uh, the other thing that I'd like them to know is that we all experience uh, uh, distress, whether it's sadness, worries, or anger. Uh, when uh, these negative feelings and this distress is impacting our level of functioning, be it uh, at work or with our relationship with loved ones or with colleagues, 
uh, or our productivity, and it's lasting for days in a row, this is when it uh, it becomes concerning, and this is when they need to talk about it with a professional. Okay. Um, last question. We've almost run out of time. What are your next priorities in terms of not so much your interventions, which you told us about, but to, for you to you and your colleagues to uh, draw new knowledge from the experiences that you are having treating so many more people um, in the pandemic period, uh, what are your research priorities going forward? We are looking at uh, uh, expanding our telehealth services. We have started uh, telemental health, which is providing uh, services online, whether it's therapy or medication management. We're in the process uh, now, we're in a year and a half into launching the service. We're in the process of uh, researching it, looking at uh, how effective it was compared to uh, in-person uh, service delivery. We believe that through this service, we would be able to reach a wider range of uh, people, whether it's uh, throughout Lebanon or even in the region. Wow. Okay, uh, we've run out of time. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, but I'm very grateful. Uh, Associate Professor of Psychiatry and Chair of the Psychiatry Department at AUB, Dr. Fadi Malouf, thank you so much for being with us. No, thank you. Uh, it was uh, a pleasure. Thank you. you. bet. And thank you to the audience for listening in. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Join us again next week for another episode of Professors at Work. Bye for now.